Stay hungry, stay foolish. If you want to avoid criticism, all you have to do is say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. On the other hand, if you decide your life is purposed for something worthy, and being on the playing field is preferred to sitting in the stands, there's something you're sure to encounter in today's show. Dogs Don't Bark at Park Cars illustrates this encounter with the voices that find fault, who don't think it's possible, and who are unable to see a future alive with opportunities waiting to be seized. Unfortunately, these barking dogs are kenneled right in our heads. To counter these distractions, today's guest provides timeless principles that serve as a GPS for personal and business success in an era of hyperchange. Simply put, it is wisdom gleaned from experience that can help others bridge the chasm that is normally crossed only through trial and error. Today's guest will inspire pursuing this journey with its central purpose, to exalt freedom through ethical capitalism. We welcome founder and CEO of SCB Marketing and author of Dogs Don't Bark at Park Cars, Jeff Purcell. Welcome to the show, Jeff. It's great to be here with you, and I really do appreciate the opportunity to share with your guests everything that we're talking about in Dogs Don't Bark at Park Cars. It's a wonderful book, and it's just packed full of so much personal insight from you and your co-author and colleague, Eric. It's a great book. I'm looking forward to getting into it. I'd love to start, Jeff, by sharing the story of a young Jeff Pearsall being chased by a Cujo-like Dalmatian on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a true story. I, you know, And it's one of those stories that uh, you don't remember until you get later in your life and you're encountering certain situations that bring it back to you. You know, I was, we used to play cops and robbers uh, on our bicycles and um, we'd use the whole town as our, as our boundaries. It was a little town, Winchester, Kentucky, um, not too far from Lexington. And we would spend all day riding around, but one road had this huge Dalmatian and you always avoided that road. And then this one day, I just decided that I was going to teach the dog a lesson and went down that road. And here he came ferociously barking and chasing me. And I slowed down just enough to where I could turn and kick at him. And of course, I missed him. And he bit me on my left hip or my left buttocks, to be more accurate. And uh, as I was going through business, and watching the dogs that continue to bark at you and level criticism at your goals, your purpose, and your plan. And every time you would lower yourself to the conversations with them, you would always get bit. And you just got to avoid them completely and just move on. That is the true story of how uh, the title ended up coming around. The lesson here for everybody that's in business the greater your purpose, the greater the value you're trying to do, the more people you're going to have that are going to come in and, and try to distract you from your opportunity or your purpose and what we tend to call your real true freedom. Because entrepreneurship is about achieving freedom. It's not about creating a job for yourself. It's about having that time freedom, relationship freedom, money freedom, and purpose freedom. And one of the biggest pieces, Aiden, that really gets in everybody's way is their own mind. 
And a lot of times, you know, we, we think about the dogs that are externally that are barking and being critics, but we don't guard our own mind and our own mind can be the greatest restriction to our success than anything else. This isn't like just for the normal folk, I'm doing air quotes here, or the C-suite executive. You tell us even Elvis wasn't immune to barking dogs. Oh, there's nobody that was. I mean, you know, you can go through the great list of Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, countless numbers of authors, even for the Harry Potter books, you know, and you, you look and you see how many times they faced rejection and how many times they were told you're never going to amount to anything. Had they listened to those people, you would have never had them again. You know, I used to be a college basketball coach and, you know, we would go and recruit on the inner city streets of New York and some of these other different communities. And it never failed to me how you could find so much great talent on the city streets and playgrounds that could never play in college or pro. And the reason why is, is they, they never could overcome their own mind. And you share this brilliant Egyptian saying, the bark of a dog does not disturb the man on a camel. I love that. I hadn't <laughs> heard that before. Because you see this even in children, because I've coached as well. And I see it. Some kids are afraid to do anything, afraid to try, because they have it in their head that they're judged by their outcome instead of judged by actually taking a punt. You're so correct. And I mean, we unfortunately spend a lot of time judging people by results. And I get it. At the end of the day, we've got to create results and we got to have good results, particularly in business. But, you know, as we're raising our children, we have to allow them the opportunity for failure because it's only in failure that they're going to learn. And we actually have a rule in our office. You're never going to be punished for failure. You're going to be punished for not trying. And if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're sitting on the couch, you're not helping us get anywhere. There's no bad idea. There's no bad thought. There's no bad proactive uh, resolution. Go do something. Make an impact. And if it's wrong, we'll tweak it. We'll recover. And we'll coach you through that process so that you can learn and not duplicate it again. I mentioned at the start the Aristotle quote. The thing most of us struggle with is we don't reframe resistance because resistance is actually part of the process. And you, you have a fantastic quote that you talk about here, that if we actually use resistance, we can actually launch ourselves from that point. Yeah, no, it was um, one of Eric's quotes and because it had a lot to do with the NASA program where his dad worked in some of the original launches of some of the space shuttles. And, you know, when you think about space, you're actually going against gravity and resistance to be able to get into space and then on the, on the project to the moon, it actually was once you got to the place where the moon's gravity grabbed you, you no longer needed the power of the engine to bring you to where you were. You only needed it to guide. And so there is a place in the tension and resistance along with your willpower of where you're going, where you're going to get to a point, and a lot of people have called it a tipping point. Uh, they've called it momentum, but there's a place where that resistance turns into the gravitational pool that takes you to where you're going to go. 
but you've just got to be, you, you've got to use all your energy, all your drive to get you to that gravitational pull. You talk about trust being a key factor, and you tell us the remarkable story of Cecil Williams and his dog, Orlando. The trust component for everybody out there, if, if you can't establish trust with people, then your business is going to be an extraordinarily difficult business. And I think in our, in our today's world global economy, this probably is the number one thing that we've got to work through is the ability to establish trust across global economies where you know we can actually operate and not be in an environment where we're constantly trying to outdo and get the better hand on someone. Most of us have all figured out there's enough business for all of us out there. We don't have to be critical of someone else. We just need to go do what we do really, really well and be trustworthy. You know, do what it is that you say you're going to do, and then people will respect you for who you are. You also mention the power of trust here, but you, in each chapter, you drop a, a beautiful dog metaphor. And your, your one here is the, the nugget of why a bulldog is called a bulldog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've always had bulldogs, and bulldogs are one of the, one of the coolest pets probably you could ever have. But, you know, you had to trust the bulldog back in the days where they were actually raised to go and grab the throats of the predators in order to be able to protect the cattle and the sheep that they were that they were actually guarding. And, and you know, you, you you have to be able to understand what that trust is. And I think dogs, any of us that have had a dog and as far as that goes, you know, it, you could put that to just about any of the animals cats or otherwise, but there's a trust factor that happens with animals that we, that is very intuitive. And if we can actually marry into that intuition in our relationships with people, we're going to find that, you know, our business and our relationships are going to be of a much greater value. And you talk about this a lot in the book, authenticity and, and a synergy between who we really are and what we actually do. That was one of the real nuggets I took out because it's weaved into the narrative of every chapter in the book and it's it's really, really powerful. Yeah, you talk, yeah I'm glad you caught that. Thanks, man. And, and you talk about, so one thing, I suppose, in this world of algorithms and data and artificial intelligence and technology is people forget that the most powerful thing in that world is actually being human and networking the relational aspect of business and in life. Yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, if we, if we really step back from this thing and look at it in its entirety, you're going to find that it's going to be the entrepreneurial spirit that's going to be the unifying global economy. Because you'll notice that that doesn't change amongst any culture or gender or uh, race. I mean, it, it's the, the, the drive for freedom remains the same inside of the human spirit. And that freedom drive comes from the ability to be able to build and choose and do the things that you want to be able to do without harming other people. So, 
the entrepreneur spirit, which is really what the underlying weave of this entire book is, you know, really starts right there. And I mean, your authenticity with people, if people perceive you to be a liar when you walk in the door or that you're motivated by your own self agenda, um, you're, you're going to find things to be very, very difficult. And you probably are going to find yourself to have a very uh, distrusting attitude uh, and a very selfish attitude. Whereas the entrepreneur spirit is opposite of that. And it, it reaches across all global economies. There's a great quote you have in the book by Einstein. Strange is our situation here upon earth. Each of us comes for a short visit, not knowing why yet, sometimes seeming to a divine purpose. From the standpoint of daily life, however, there is one thing we do know, that we are here for the sake of other men. That is awesome. I had never seen that. And that that encapsulates what you're saying here, that it's win-win, it's paying it forward, because that stuff, when you pay it forward, it comes back multiple ways. Yeah, you can count on a 10x return. You know, if you want to grow your business 10x, and this is what a lot of people spend a lot of time in coaching and they spend a lot of time with seminars about how to grow your business 10x. And there are tactical things. But I got to tell you, at the end of the day, if you help enough people get what they want, you're going to get all that you ever needed or deserved. And Einstein's quote, I think is one of those that probably, because it came from Einstein, it stops people in their tracks because they never thought about him from that perspective. And it's very arresting and it is very captivating because he's really capturing the essence of the entrepreneurial spirit. It's all about helping our mankind. And the more we do that, the more we all benefit. I was thinking about that when you wrote about that. And I was thinking about you talk about how a college teacher put faith in you that led you to an unbelievable lesson, but also the more important thing, and I'd love if you shared it with us in a second, but I thought the more important thing is the importance of mentors in our lives or teachers or somebody who's in those type of roles or a coach or an uncle or whoever it may be, a word in the ear of a kid can change their entire life. Yeah. You know, as a coach, I remember the multitude of experiences, 10, 15, and 20 and even just as recently as a few months ago, 35 years later, where, you know, a player will cross paths and he'll, he's remembered one thing. And, you know, it's a coach. I really appreciate you telling me that, 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 and it made all the difference. I mean, they, they hang on. And, and I had a high school teacher that, you know, I was pretty much the class clown, the goof off, um, played four sports you know, really wasn't involved in anything other than I was involved in everything. Um, and he came to me and said, I want you to run for student council president, which in our school was the most prestigious position. And I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? I'm not going to make a fool of myself and do that and embarrass myself. Nobody's going to ever pay any attention, nor will they give me any credit. You know, I'm, it's just going to be a laughing stock. And he said, no, they'll, they'll, they will follow you. And um, he said, you, you have a hidden talent that's got to come out and you've got to have, you, you've got to go do this. And he convinced me 
And sure enough, I ended up beating out the valedictorian and it wasn't even close. It, it was a, it was a landslide victory. And then we went on to have one of the greatest single years in our high school ever and built traditions that are still going on today, 50 years later. So, you know, it's very humbling and, and it's extremely rewarding and it's a great testament to the power of investing your words into our youth because it does make a difference. And I love what you said here. The kind of lesson, the mic drop moment for me was you say a relationship only survives by po focusing on what is right and a tolerance for weaknesses. And it's essential for every every relationship <laughs> in your life, especially marriage, as you say. Um, oh, I mean, my daughter's getting married in two weeks. And you know how it is in the last two months, there's always stuff that starts to come up as self-doubt. And, you know, and I finally had a conversation with her and I said, look, you're not getting into the marriage to change his weaknesses. You're getting into the marriage because you love his weaknesses and you love his strengths. Hopefully the two of you can cover each other's weaknesses because you got a long list yourself. So be very careful about aiming and throwing the first rock about someone's weaknesses, because there ain't none of us walking this earth that are perfect. We've all got them. So don't, don't blame someone else for theirs when you've got your own long list. Oh, that's awesome, man. That, that's your, uh, that's your father, father, the bride speech sorted, man. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even yeah. have to write it. You don't have to write it. You've done it in this book, but it's, it's one of the reasons I really wanted to share the book because exactly like that, that, teacher put faith in you that you didn't know and these lessons and even sharing that what you're sharing so many of us are so busy in our lives with work with stresses of paying our mortgages whatever it may be that we we forget sometimes our children need these little moments to impart a lesson that can absolutely change their lives and you talked about a later one which was the highlight of your coaching career meeting the great john wooden yeah he was um very inspirational in the sense that he had coached with and against my grandfather for years and years and were, were competitors. My grandfather stayed on the high school level. Coach Wooden went on, obviously, to UCLA and became uh, one of the, well, the number one greatest college, high, college basketball coach ever. And then he came to our basketball banquet when I was at Birmingham Southern College and was the guest speaker. And, you know, I took the risk. And I think one of the lessons here is you can never be hurt by asking. You're never hurt by asking, you know, but it took the courage to go up to him and say, hey, coach, do you remember George Wright? And Literally, for the next hour to hour and a half, he traded stories, invested into me like I was the only person on the planet. And all we talked about was my grandfather and he and then his relationship, you know, opening up to me. After that, I never met him again. Uh, but we wrote each other, you know, back in the 80s. 
we had a, a, a an action called pen pals where you know it doesn't exist today with technology but you know we would write letters back and forth to each other for the next 7 to 8 years and probably one of the greatest regrets um that i have is that i never got on a plane went to california uh and saw him before he passed away to thank him but you know i know deep in his heart he knows what he did uh, he knows what he touched. Then he didn't do anything different for me that he wouldn't have done for anyone else. Uh, you know, and that was what was so impressive about it. And uh, there's so much that can be learned from his book on leadership. I strongly recommend it to anyone uh, to be able to focus on what are the real principles of leadership. It's a book that ought to be in every high school and college and taught from. It teaches principles. It doesn't teach facts, which I love. Like, and, and you talk about the importance of this when we'll talk about it in a second vision. But encapsulating that, the John Wooden experience, the John Wooden experience and your, your college professor. We did a show a few weeks ago called ADHD Nation with Alan Schwartz. And on the show, we talked about the over prescription of ADHD medication. And you mentioned this in the book because it's, it is something that I feel that a kid could be an absolute genius or have a massive gift like like your college professor spotted in you and he wants to bring it out. But sometimes we medicate that out of kids and we could be medicating out the future of business because entrepreneurship is such a massive part of that and it's so linked to thinking differently and being allowed to be, think differently and be creative. Actually, it's extraordinarily dangerous. Had they had these prescription drugs when I was in elementary school, they would have put me on them. Here's what's dangerous, is that if you take the symptoms and the characteristics of a child that you put on these drugs, and you match it, and you go over here and you go, okay, what are the symptoms and the characteristics of an entrepreneur? You write that list and then you take this medical list and you look at them. They're exactly the same list. You are drugging your entrepreneurs. And when you do that, you're killing that creative spirit that, that takes innovation. Now, look, innovation's great. But if you don't have an entrepreneur to go drive it for revenue, it's worthless. And there's a ton of great products, great service, great ideas that people have invented that have never gone to market because there wasn't an entrepreneur to drive it. And it's only in that entrepreneurial spirit that innovation has any value. So all you're doing is you're drugging your future creativity because there's an unwillingness in the school system to adapt the school system to those children versus trying to make the children adapt to the school system. It's a pet peeve of mine. Uh, it, I guess you picked up on that real quickly. It is extremely dangerous. Yeah, and it, it reminded me of another Einstein quote, which is everybody is a genius, but if you judge a, a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing <laughs> that it's stupid. That nails it. It really speaks to what we call your God-given unique ability. You have a unique ability. 
the crime, I think, is that there's so many people that go through life and they never find that unique ability. They never get to live in that unique ability. And that ought to be the goal of everyone. And, and for some people, look, you know, the unique ability is being the executive assistant for someone because that's what they are uniquely inclined to be great at doing. For other people, it's leading a company. For another person, it's being, uh, you know, the, the production worker, you know, on the line. But their unique ability is, is, is perfect for that particular task and role. And they need to relish that and they need to live in it and they need to recognize it. But we spend a lot of time judging fish as birds and we shouldn't be doing that. You use this then beyond the education system existing in companies now where we, where we beat out diversity. And, and you, you call this one diversity of expression and the importance of that in the business place. You know, diversity gets mixed in so many times with just appearance or gender or culture or race. And it's so much more than that. You know, ultimately, if you cut an individual open from their neck to their waist, we're all built exactly the same. Just because there's differences in color, just because there's differences in gender, you know, we're, we're wired the same way anatomically. Uh, we've got the same organs. And we need to start understanding that the souls are completely unique and that we've got to accept that diversity of expression, that diversity of ideas. The, when I'm hiring people is a great example. I don't need to hire anybody like me. You know, those are the people I hang out with because, you know, yeah, I, I really have a good time and I'm fun being around those, those people that are like me, but I don't need those people in my office. I need the people that aren't like me because they're the ones that are going to pick up and cover the things that I'm not good at doing. And there's none of us that are good at doing everything. Now, as an entrepreneur, we may do a little bit of everything, but until you build a team around you to pick up those other things, you're just a one trick pony that eventually is going to run off a cliff. Another way to really think about this also is when you think about water and you think about the different resources of water and you've got landlocked bodies of water. What happens to those landlocked bodies of water? They're like reservoirs and they become stagnant. Versus if you think about a river, a river is flowing. A river gives life. A river creates life because the organisms can multiply. The organisms can survive and they can thrive in a river. Whereas, you know, in the reservoir, the pond, the landlocked water, it's all about me. You know, is my car bigger than my neighbors? Is my house bigger than my neighbors? You know, I'm not in a thriving and surviving and growing as I would be in a river. And a river takes you to a destination. So uh, it, it, there's a multitude of different analogies. Um, but, you know, diversity of expression is something that we've got to accept in the office place. And we've got to raise it up and we've got to reward it. 
I constantly am, am recognizing people in my company who come up with ideas or actually speak up against me with an idea because that takes courage. But I want to hear that diversity. I want to hear a different perspective. My perspective is not right. It's just one perspective. So you need everybody. You mentioned also uh, the Roman axe as a symbol of unity. I thought that was a great one because a herd mentality is often referred to in a negative context. But you talk about it as well being having immense opportunities for positive action. The unification process, and I mean, look at look at us. I mean, we're 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 speaking across the uh, Atlantic Ocean today, and having an opportunity to be able to share ideas. These ideas and these this purpose and this drive are no different anywhere in the world. And and that's the thing that's a unifying component. And you you've got to have that unification in order to be able to drive economies successfully. Break it down inside your company. If your company doesn't have a purpose, it's very difficult for people to be motivated for the success and the drive of what they're supposed to be doing. Purpose will outweigh so many other things, and it gives life to your people. So I strongly encourage not only just to have a vision, but make sure that vision has a purpose. And that purpose will resonate with your people and it will give them the excitement to get up in the next day, to come in, to be able to perform and do the things that they're supposed to do. And I think it even gets down. You've mentioned family a couple of times. How many families actually have a vision for their family? And, you know, when you get kids and you get them into the adolescent age, all of a sudden, Parents are like, I can't make a connection with this kid anymore. And there's a lot of it that is hormonal. A lot of it is just a stage of life. But you're asking that kid to follow you, and you haven't even given him a vision or a purpose. And you have to be able to do that for your family as much as you do it for any business. That unit is successful across all walks of life. And so, Vision is much more important than just what you got to have inside the business. Yeah, I love that. And you talk then closely aligned to that. So when you have people organized around a vision, so you have the right people, you've got the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, and you've got a vision. You talk about the importance of influence and not imposition. And I loved here your analogy to Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, the, the you know influence versus imposition, and you made a statement that is really critical. You said talking about getting the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus. When you have a clear vision, you have a very self-managed mechanism. You will get rid of the wrong people all by itself. The vision will take care of itself. You will not have to fire. You won't have to get into arguments. They will leave on their own because they're not bought into the vision. 
And influence versus imposition is a big part of this. If I've got to use a stick to motivate you, imposition, I've got to use a stick, I've got to use a whip in order to be able to demand that you do this because you work here, then you need to understand that I've lost that relationship. I've lost the importance with that particular person versus using the power of influence. When I can, when I can use the power of influence to motivate my people, I get a real performance, not a performance that is going to be based in, you know, the anger and the fear of imposition. You talk about vision, so the purpose and the vision to, to drive people as a collective, and then you have the right collective. But then there's individual roles, and we talked about the individuality or the, pers- the personalization of education, for example, but same in the workplace. You, you share a killer concept. There is a difference between being outside your comfort zone and being miscast in your role. I thought that was a great one because often people are just in the wrong role. They really are. I mean, many times you, you'll have a person inside your company that can be hugely successful if they're in the right seat. And one of the one of the greatest examples of this, and we actually have it going on in our company right now, we've got a tremendous salesperson and she's just killing it. And, you know, all of a sudden staff and management was like, we need to promote her to sales manager. And I'm like, that is the single worst thing that you could ever do. This is a successful salesperson. Don't try to make them a sales manager because they'll fail. She doesn't have the basic characteristics and the components that's going to make for a good sales manager. A good sales manager typically is not a good salesperson. And don't make good salespeople sales managers. It's a false pretense, and it's getting people in the wrong seats to where they're not going to be in their unique ability and be in the role in which they're going to be highly successful. Well, you rightly talk about this being no different than being a coach and and playing the right the players in the right positions, for example. But equally or closely allied to that is the idea of processes and putting the right processes and habits in place and focusing on process rather than the victory. That's exactly right. And the best way to look at this is an ana- or a term that we use all the time in everything we do. You either learn or win. And when you, when you bottle it up that way, you've bottled it in a very positive perspective. So if you just think about every circumstance, every situation, everything that you encounter, if, if I can at least learn from it or win, I'm coming out better. And, and that ultimately sums up exactly what needs to happen in all situations. Yeah, and, and, and this is one of the things I love about the book. You talk so much about the importance of the human aspects. I'd love to finish on the brilliant poem by your son, Wes. And I'd love if you, would you recite that for our audience if you have it in front of you? You probably know it off. Yes, I will. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, Wes is the one of the strength coaches out at Texas A&M football program. And we discovered in him probably around 14, 
that he had this unique ability to be able to create poems. And so he's done them for, you know, his grandfather's funeral service. He's done them for weddings. He's done them all over the place. And so, you know, my wife, who was proofing the book, because she's great at grammar and stuff, sent this out to Wes and said, look, can you create a closing poem that would encapsulate the entrepreneurial spirit? And so I'll share it with you right now. I'm honored to be able to do that. It's titled, Keep Moving by Wes Pearsall. Life is a journey that will take you many places. And along the way, you'll meet many new faces. The world around us will continuously change. And for many, this idea could seem very strange. There will be mountains to climb and not always sunshine. And along the way, there will be some holding stop signs. Becoming successful will not happen overnight. And people around you won't always think it's right. So keep the right people close to your side. And when you get challenged, never run or hide. On the path to greatness, you reach beyond comfort zones. But just remember where you came from and you'll never be alone. You can't be like the cowardly lion. Because a lack of courage keeps one from trying. Courage is not something that can be bought at the store, and you won't find it by aimlessly going door to door. It's the internal flame that burns within us all. When we use it, we are able to move forward and not stall. Always stay hungry. Never be satisfied. Remember the times you failed, the times you cried. Not everyone will agree with what you're trying to do, but that's okay because all you need is you. Learn when to work and learn when to play. Know when to love and when you need to pray. Always be courageous and shoot for the stars. And remember, dogs don't bark at parked cars. Awesome, man. Awesome. Wes, well done, buddy. You know what? I was actually thinking... That's your wedding speech sorted, man. Between this this and the quote to your daughter, you're, you you don't even have to write a speech. Oh, man, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it'd be great to, to share where people can find out more or connect with you because I know you do a lot of yep. international speaking, etc. So you can go to jeffpearsall.com. That's jeffpearsall, P-I-E-R-S-A-L-L.com. And pick up any information on me, my services, speaking opportunities, the Dogs Don't Bark book, reviews, and being able to get to Amazon.com. Just go to JeffPearsall.com. We look forward to seeing you on your journey. And if there's anything we can do to help you, please never hesitate to reach out. I will always respond to any email that you send on info request. Yeah, and you, and you do, you give your contact details in the book, which I thought was remarkable. And a, and a shout out to Eric Wright as well, your co-author, who, who's done a fantastic job as well. Eric's just brilliant. You know, he he takes all of my wild ideas and gets them into, you know, a great communication tool. And he did a fabulous job putting the book together. So I'll be sure to make sure he knows. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jeff Purcell, founder and CEO of SCB Marketing and author of the brilliant Dogs Don't Bark at Park Cars. Jeff Purcell, thanks for joining us. Hey, man, thank you very much. I hope we get a chance to meet one day.